Good afternoon, America. Welcome to the Inside Scoop from Washington. This is Mark Levine reporting live from the Center for American Progress in Washington, D.C. Leslie Marshall is off today. She's actually off for much of this week. She'll be back tomorrow, and then you've got me Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. So if you like what I have to say, or if you just like listening to me, or you just want to call in and disagree with me, uh, you got me today, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday. If you prefer Leslie, well, you got her back tomorrow and all of the following week. There is a lot going on in the news. The Department of Homeland Security might be shut down right here in Washington. The Republicans claim to really care about fighting terrorism and stopping bad people from crossing our border, and they claim to care about the transportation security, specifically the TSA, that helps keep our planes running and up in the air. But uh, they might just shut down the government again because some Republicans, or most Republicans, disagree with President Obama giving a path to citizenship for millions of undocumented immigrants in the United States, basically, who've come here to live the American dream in much the way our parents and grandparents did. But rather than take a legal route, rather than sue the president or get another president elected who disagrees, by the way, that's going to be difficult given that the vast majority of Americans agree with the president's policy. They're just doing what Republicans do best, shutting down the government, or at least attempting to. Many of you know at the last moment last Friday, literally in the, in the 11th hour, it was at 11 p.m. before it was expired, the uh, Senate and House agreed to a one-week extension. But this shows really the conflict between Speaker John Boehner and the rest of his caucus in the House. The Republicans have learned well how to say no. They're just not very good at governing. Meanwhile, tomorrow, Prime Minister Netanyahu of Israel is coming to speak before Congress. He was invited by Speaker Boehner with no notice whatsoever to the President of the United States. And now everyone is mad at everyone. President Obama and his administration says they weren't informed. That was a breach of protocol, and of course it was. And because of that insult, uh, neither the president nor anyone from uh, his cabinet will meet with Prime Minister Netanyahu or speak with him or attend the speech. Republicans say, well, you know, we have every right to invite whoever we want to speak before Congress. Uh, president Obama says, and also Netanyahu has his, his prime ministerial election in Israel in a couple of weeks, so we don't want someone speaking uh, to try to get a favor in electoral contest. Of course, President Obama did go to Berlin famously a few months before his presidential election in 2008, but it, it hasn't been done two weeks before the election. All of this is overshadowing the real issue here, and that is whether or not the Islamic dictatorship of Iran, specifically this theocracy that is so busy creating, fomenting, and uh, terrorism all around the globe. In fact, I would argue without Iran's help, there would be no Assad in Syria, there would be no ISIS, there would be none of these terrorist battles in uh, Lebanon or Gaza or uh, Iraq or Syria. But in any case, they are busy developing a nuclear bomb. President Obama says he can stop them from developing a nuclear bomb with an agreement. Israeli Prime Minister Netanyahu says that the agreement that Obama is about to sign will nevertheless lead Iran to getting a nuclear bomb. Who's right? That's an important question. Much more important than this breach of protocol. And coming up after the break, I've got a guest who's going to, uh, to give us some insight into it, Ari Davis. 
Here's the question I'm going to ask him when we come back. The protocol breach seems easy to fix. The Prime Minister of Israel argued that he wanted to speak to America prior to the negotiations with Iran running out. Well, their deadline is March 31st. President Obama said he didn't want Prime Minister Netanyahu speaking right before the Israeli elections. Well, the Israeli elections are March 17th. It seems to me there was an easy resolution here. Simply ask Speaker Boehner to move Prime Minister Netanyahu's invitation from tomorrow to two weeks later. Had he been invited on the 18th, 19th, 20th, 21st, 22nd of March, that would have been after the Israeli election. No problem for Obama, supposedly. And prior to the expiration of the talks with Iran. So no problem for Netanyahu. But Speaker Boehner didn't want to do that or wasn't asked to or for some reason it didn't happen. Probably because the Republicans in Congress want to try to drive a wedge between supporters of Israel and the Democratic Party. Now it's true that President Obama and Prime Minister Netanyahu have no love lost between them. They are both famously hard-headed people um, and they certainly have disagreements on what we're doing with Iran. But it just seems to me that the breach of protocol is overshadowing a really important issue, whether or not Iran should be able to get a nuclear weapon. When I worked in the House of Representatives 10 years ago, North Korea was busy getting a nuclear weapon. President Clinton had signed a deal with the dictator of North Korea, famously allowing inspectors in and giving them some food aid. And in return, North Korea had stopped nuclear production. The inspectors monitored North Korea, and everything was pretty stable, even though North Korea is a murderous dictatorship, one of the most brutal in the world, with hundreds of thousands of, of North Koreans and, well, concentration camps is probably the best word to use, it, the kind of camps that remind you of the Hunger Games. In any case, but we did stop him from getting a nuclear weapon until September 11th happened. George Bush took his eyes off the ball decided to invade Iraq, and while we were invading Iraq, the North Korean dictator said, aha, America's attention is diverted elsewhere. We are now going to break this former agreement with we made with Bill Clinton and develop nuclear weapons. I remember working in the House at the time and telling people constantly that North Korea was going to develop nuclear weapons any day now. But the Bush administration had other concerns, and now one of the most evil dictators on earth does have nuclear weapons. Luckily, he, he, we're not quite sure he has capacity to hit America yet, but he certainly can hit our allies, our strong allies like Japan. I don't want the same thing to happen in Iran, and I'm really nervous that this whole hullabaloo over protocol is really taking center stage when the real question is, what's the best method to keep Iran from getting a bomb? Now, certainly a military attack on Iran has consequences. Nobody really wants that. Uh, Israel doesn't want to do it. The United States doesn't want to do it. And if they did it, there would be repercussions, no question. Though I would say to you, and I, I think President Obama at least rhetorically agrees with me when he says no options are off the table, that a military attack on Iran's nuclear weapons, and just those, not a full-scale war, would be preferable to giving this very dangerous dictatorship, this murderous, really, champion of terrorism all around the globe, rather than giving them a nuclear bomb or allowing them to, to get a nuclear bomb. But can sanctions work? We know they've been powerful. We know they've gotten Iran to the negotiating table. We also know with the price of oil down low, that is hurting Iran. But if so, what are the appropriate sanctions? 
And again, why can't we discuss this question instead of everyone's feelings being hurt about the protocol breach? Now, let me be very clear. I think John Boehner was a jerk. I would use stronger words if I could do so on radio. Was a jerk in calling this interview, in calling Prime Minister Netanyahu to come speak for Congress, and to not telling President Obama first. Netanyahu also, no question, should have informed President Obama about the speech. It seems that, uh, well, they were both kind of poking the eye one at the other, uh, both at Obama, and then Obama poked right back. But I think this is childish on all three counts, particularly when there's an easy solution, particularly when Israel is the United States' greatest ally in the Middle East, and all of us supposedly agree on Iran not getting a nuclear weapon. The only question is, how do we stop them? So these are the questions I'm going to pose to my guest, Ari Davis, when we come back. And I encourage you to call in as well and give me your two cents. The toll-free number is 888-653-7543. 888-653-7543. This is Mark Levine. We'll be right back right after this. Leslie Marshall. Real people. Real life. Real talk. 888-6-LESLIE. Netanyahu of Israel is giving a major speech tonight, but is his speech and the protocol breach over his speech overshadowing real questions about whether Iran's going to get the nuclear bomb? I got some callers on the line. I want you to hang on, if you will, callers, while I introduce my guest. I promise I'll get to you, though, if you hang on. My guest is Avi Davis. He's the president of the American Freedom Alliance. Uh, he's editor of the Intermediate Zone. His work has appeared in hundreds of papers throughout the world, including the L.A. Times, Chicago Tribune, and, and other newspapers. Avi, welcome to the show. Thank you, Marcus, to be with you. Thanks, thanks again for coming. Here's my question for you. So before we get to the real issue, which I think is Iran's nuclear ambitions and the best way to stop them, and I still think that's the real issue, I've got to deal with this protocol breach because, well, that's what everyone's talking about. Uh, as, as everyone knows, Speaker Boehner invited Prime Minister Netanyahu to speak without telling Obama. Netanyahu didn't tell Obama either. Uh, here's what I don't understand. Obama says we can't do it before the Israeli election. Netanyahu says we got to do it because we want to meet, we have to have it now versus later because it's before the expiration of the negotiations with Iran that expire March 31st. Why hasn't anyone proposed having the speech two weeks from now between the the Israeli elections March 17th and the expiration of the, of the talks March 31st? Everyone could have saved face, and this whole protocol breach would be out of the way. We'd be discussing Iran rather than the protocol breach. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the whole thing is a red herring, frankly. Uh, the you know the protocol breach is is, is pure nonsense. In I think it was uh, two years ago, uh, or three years ago, Netanyahu came to the United States and gave exactly the same. Um, uh, presentation before uh, under exactly the same circumstances. Uh, I, I don't believe that uh, the United, that uh, Barack Obama uh, uh, objected whatsoever at that time to uh, Netanyahu's speech. 
Yemi has been also been making the speech, the same speech, uh, before the United Nations uh, for the last five years. Every time you see him at the United Nations, he's saying the same thing. So, so Iran, that, you're not that, allowed to get the bomb. And I promise in the whole second half hour, we're going to get into the details of Iran, which, which I strongly agree are the more important issue here. But because everyone's focusing on the protocol, I have to ask, it does seem to me that John Boehner sort of, sort of purposely wanted to poke Obama in the eye. Do you know of any – it just seems to me – obviously, I'm not in charge here, but it seems to me the obvious suggestion to let everyone say face was to do the speech two weeks from now after the Israeli election and yet prior to the expiration of negotiations. I haven't seen any discussion of that in the media, and I just wanted to ask you if you had any idea why they didn't just do that to resolve all the hurt feelings and, and go on with the, the real matter, which is Iran. I think that Netanyahu is getting a sense that things are getting to, are coming to a conclusion very, very quickly. And he wanted to get in and make sure that uh, the U.S. Congress and the American people and the world understands what the real issues are. You wait six days before negotiations are going to conclude, and, you know, you really got – they're basically over. And so I don't think it, was, it would, be, would have been responsible for him to wait that long until uh, until the final agreement actually came out. And he, he wanted to have some kind of influence. And the interesting thing here, uh, Mark, is that Netanyahu, whose country is the one most likely to suffer under these circumstances, was never really consulted about these negotiations. As we know, in Geneva there are... Uh, Five countries plus one, uh, B5 plus one, meeting with the uh, Iranian representatives to hammer out an agreement. Those are the United States, United Kingdom, France, Germany, Russia. I must have missed one. What's the uh, five plus one? I believe it's China. Oh, Ch- China? Are they part of the negotiation? I didn't realize that. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, anyway, um, so you have these uh, you have these uh, negotiations taking place without cultural sanction with those countries most directly affected in the Middle East, which includes the State of Israel, uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Jordan, United Arab Emirates, Kuwait, and other more moderate Arab countries. And so. Uh, you, you have uh, here. You have Netanyahu coming to stand before the U.S. Congress, in effect representing those countries. Uh, it's not, of course, spoken openly, but there's obvious consultation between all of them. Even though Israel doesn't even have diplomatic relations with most of them, about how to deal with this menace, this rising menace that the United States doesn't seem to be able to effectively confront. It's interesting that you mentioned Saudi Arabia. It's it's often discussed that the main uh, the main body, the main countries, if you will, that are rivaling in military influence in the Middle East would be Iran, Israel, and Saudi Arabia. And in many ways, Saudi Arabia and Israel find themselves on the same side against Iran. Tell us why. Yes, it's very interesting, isn't it, to see that these two nations, which have never had diplomatic relations, which are effectively at war, still at war since 1949, are now undertaking uh, extensive discussions about how to deal with this, and that Saudi Arabia has, in effect, uh, agreed to allow the Israeli uh, Air Force to use its airspace in the event of an attack on Iran. in, in, you know, there has been a very curious realignment. Uh, the the whole the whole rise of ISIS uh, and Al Qaeda, which threatens all of these moderate regimes, naturally uh, has them turning towards the 
superpower, the regional superpower, which is the state of Israel. They're looking to Israel essentially for protection because they are not going to get that protection from the United States itself. That's at least the, that's the perception. They will not get protection from the U.S. And so you do have this rather weird set of bedfellows that have uh, developed in the Middle East uh, with Saudi Arabia now um, teaming with Israel to work out how to um, to address the rise of a nuclear run. So how much of this is simple Sunni-Shia rivalry? Saudi Arabia is sort of the head Sunni regime in the Middle East, and, Iraq, and Iran is certainly the head Shia regime in the Middle East. And how much of this is a real danger? We know the danger to Israel. Uh, Iran threatens to destroy destroy Israel, frankly, all the time. Uh, how much is, how is it a danger to Saudi Arabia? Does, does, does Saudi Arabia actually fear Iran will attack them? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran has had its eyes on Saudi Arabia for, for generations. Uh, there's, uh, and there's an absolute uh, rival, the Shia, the Shia Sunni rivalry you spoke about, is of deep concern to the Saudis. Uh, they uh, are watching uh, the developments in Yemen with tremendous alarm, because Yemen, of course, borders Saudi, the Saudis on the Arabian Peninsula. So they're very concerned about the the takeover of the Yemen government by the by the um, the Shia-aligned um, uh, Houthi. And uh, the Iranians, of course, are backing the Houthi, so they now have this presence. And what you see happening, Mark, is this archipelago of influence, which reaches uh, from the from the Arabian Peninsula, sweeps through the Arabian Desert, and up through um, Syria, Iraq. Uh, uh, we, ha- we have to take a break. I promise we'll get back yeah. after the break. Uh, but obviously Iran is threatening Saudi Arabia on its borders with Yemen. It's threatening Israel by supporting Hezbollah in Lebanon. It supports uh, terrorists in uh, Iraq and Syria. And now they may develop a nuclear weapon. I will get to your calls, Kevin and Santa Fe, and the rest of you, and we'll, more of Ivy Davis right after this. 888-653-7543 if you want to join in. Welcome back to the show. This is Mark Levine giving you the inside scoop from Washington. Washington is all a flutter about the protocol breach of inviting Prime Minister Netanyahu to speak before Congress. Speaker Boehner did not consult with the president, with President Obama, about the speech. Netanyahu accepted, and, um, well, everyone's upset about that. But the real question, it seems to me, is how are negotiations with Iran going what are they going to achieve? Will they actually stop Iran from developing a nuclear weapon? Are sanctions are appropriate? Will military action have to be taken? And frankly, how can we stop Iran without military action? What exactly is Netanyahu looking for? What's Obama looking for? These are the hearts of the issue, and these are the reasons why I've invited Avi Davis uh, here to, to give us his insights. But this whole protocol breach, i got to say, if you look at the news... That's what everybody's talking about, not about what the issue is with Iran. Before I come back to Avi, I do want to take a call from Kevin in Santa Fe on line four. Kevin, welcome to the show. Hey, um, you know, you're talking about Iran, and you were saying that you agree with uh, Obama being having it on the table to bomb a nuclear facility. 
and I wanted to totally disagree with that. Wait, wait, okay. wait I agreed with, with wait, 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 hold on. I agreed with Obama as that Iran should have a bomb. I didn't say that. If you thought I did, no, you, that, no, no, that 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 bombing a nuclear facility should be on the table. Oh, right. I do think that as a last resort, it should be on the table. You disagree? Tell me why. Um, I think that that is tantamount to exploding a dirty bomb inside of their country because you're blowing up a facility where nuclear materials are present, and we wouldn't want them blowing up a dirty bomb in New York. Number two, Iran is a signatory to the non-proliferation agreement as regards nuclear weapons, whereas, oh, somebody like Israel or India is not. Okay, I'll tell you what. Let me let me address some of these questions to my guest. I do know that Israel successfully bombed a a, a facility in Syria and one in Iraq, frankly, that was going to become a nuclear facility prior to it becoming a nuclear facility and did so without any kind of dirty bomb uh, radiological damage. But let me ask Avi about that, and then I'll get to your second question. Avi, what are your thoughts on the idea that if, if Israel or the United States had to take a military strike against an Iran nuclear facility, there might be uh, some kind of um, radiation damage or something like that? Well, um, as you said, Israel has successfully uh, destroyed nuclear facilities beforehand. Remember you, you, that, that, that Iran does not have a nuclear weapon at this stage. Yet. It seems that everybody can agree with, agree with that, um, that it hasn't really reached the stage where it can produce one. Uh, and destroying the facilities that will make it possible is absolutely urgent uh, because uh, once those weapons are developed, or when they're very close to being developed, then there really is a danger of radiological uh, damage, which affects, you know, the entire Middle East, which could affect the entire Middle East, as we know. Um, Do we have any idea when when Iran will cross that threshold? To, to actually, I don't, I don't think anybody. I don't think anybody outside the Iranians really knows that. Just last week, it was it was revealed that there is a secret uh, facility uh, in Iran where uh, a lot of the research and um, a nuclear and weaponry development is being undertaken. Uh, so we really don't know how far, how really close they are. They've avoided. Uh, detection for so long and uh, become masters of it. Uh, so it's uh, still uh, very much up in the air. Uh, but I, I will say this in answer to your 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 um, listeners. My caller, question. yeah, yeah. Let, let me let me your just call. pose the second question to you, and then and then Kevin, I'll yeah. give you a chance to respond. But so it is true that. Israel and India are both nuclear states. Israel hasn't admitted being a nuclear state, but everyone seems to think it's it's true. So so is India. Both are democracies. Iran, although a dictatorship, has signed the proliferation treaty. How do you square all that? You know, the, the fact that, uh, that Israel and India are democracies and but it's, uh, it's a national are highly unlikely to use okay, the sorry. first one to deploy a nuclear weapon is extremely an extremely important fact. Iran, on the other hand, has been the source of destabilization in the Middle East for the last 30 years, has been the worldwide leading sponsor of terrorism, has threatened Israel with annihilation repeatedly under many of its leaders. Uh, you know, you've got to start thinking that I mean, maybe uh, a nuclear weapon in the hands of these guys could be extremely dangerous, not just for Israel or the United States, but for the entire world. Uh, so, Kevin, I, does that address your, your issue? Well, when you say that Iran is sponsoring terrorism, 
what about Saudi Arabia's promotion of Wahhabism around the world? What about Saudi Arabia's involvement with uh, 9-11, whether it would be financial sponsorship or... The- Kevin, let me just say this, I, I, and I'll get to Avi in a second. I am certainly no fan of Saudi Arabia. Uh, just their treatment of women alone is enough for me to be no fan of Saudi Arabia. Uh, and I don't dispute that Saudi Arabia has promoted Wahhabism around the globe. I think you're absolutely right about that. But Saudi Arabia, at least at this time, is not developing a nuclear weapon. I don't know that Saudi Arabia's promotion of terrorism is any worse than Iranian promotion of terrorism through Hezbollah and, and, and others. Uh, I, I, I condemn them both. But I condemn more, and I'm more afraid of the country developing nuclear weapons than the one that's not. But let me let's see if Avi has a response to what you said. Well, it, it, the United States does not have the luxury of choosing its allies in the Middle East. You know, there, there aren't many good players there. Uh, there aren't many uh, those great allies who we can lean on or rely upon. Um, and it's true that Saudi the Saudis have been involved. They're almost like a um, Janus-based uh Ally. In fact, they've got several faces. You know, one is the terrorist face, one is the moderate face, and you never know which one you're actually talking to. But the fact is, they, as you say, Mark, they do not have a nuclear weapon. You know, they, or, or, and, and they're not likely to get one in the near future. Uh, they don't have a nuclear research program, that at least we know about. Uh, you know, Iran does. And Iran is a quantity that we know. We already know who they are. We know what they do. We know what they believe. And we know what they're capable of. And so, you know, let's not waste time, you know, talking about the Saudis and the Saudi problem, comparing them to the Saudis. You know, the Saudis aren't good guys. Kevin, Kevin, let let me suggest to you this. Kevin, uh, it seems to me that the single most uh, strongest reason why Saudi Arabia would develop nuclear weapons, and let's face it, they've got a ton of money. They certainly could find some renegade nuclear scientists like uh, the Pakistani uh, scientist that sold nuclear technology to, to North Korea. It seems to me that if Iran were to develop a nuclear bomb, Saudi Arabia would race to develop a nuclear bomb themselves. And frankly, so would Egypt, so so would uh, any anyone, Yemen and Libya. And, and frankly, it would set off a race until every... Uh, every state in the Middle East, including some very unstable ones, got a nuclear weapon. Don't you see that that Iran could start an arms race in this regard? Um, Iran starting an arms race is 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 true. There are certain things in that that I agree with, but um, a careful analysis, in my opinion, looks at the enrichment for bomb grade going from twenty percent to ninety percent, and the Iranians are barely at a point where they can. Enrich it to 20%. This is an entirely different animal than bomb-grade uranium at 90%. And they don't even have any facilities. When they talk about bombing a facility, they're talking about if Iran goes ahead and builds a facility. No, no, they have a facility. They, they, 90%, well, hang, hang on, hang on. They would bomb that facility. They, they do have a facility. They have a facility in Iraq, they, A-R-A-K. They have one in Natanz. I think there's some six facilities, right, Avi? I don't want to misstate That's it. That's correct. Here. Yeah, there is. There are six nuclear facilities. Here's the thing about about nuclear bomb making. No, but but here's here's the thing, Kevin. And 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 I I admit to not being a nuclear scientist, but but you you look on the internet. You correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is, it's far more difficult 
to get from zero to five percent than five to twenty, and far more difficult to get from five to twenty than twenty to ninety. So even though these numbers suggest, hey, you know, twenty percent is only twenty percent of the way there. No, twenty percent is actually ninety percent of the way there because it's more difficult to get to, to get the technology, the understanding to get to twenty than it is to get from twenty to ninety. Is that your understanding, Avi? Yes. Absolutely. You know, we're, uh, you know, we're, one thing, as I said before, we really don't know, you know, what the level of advancement is on these, on these weapons, uh, how far along they are, their uh, nuclear technology. But I think tomorrow, uh, when Netanyahu addresses both houses of Congress, we're going to find out. We're going to find out a lot more because Israeli intelligence actually has more information than anybody on this issue. Well, Kevin, I appreciate your call and, and asking some very challenging questions. Avi, I wanted to ask you here. Uh, the sanctions do appear to be having some effect on Iran. It did bring them to the negotiating table. Uh, do you think that sanctions uh, – there should be stronger sanctions issued? Or, or do you think that Obama is going to come up with some kind of deal in the next month or so that actually keeps Iran's levels very low? Because you know what the administration argues. They say, hey, we've actually got Iran to destroy some of its uranium at 20 percent, take it down to about 5 percent uh, in the process of this interim negotiation. And Israel has all this war talk, but we've actually managed to degrade Iran's nuclear progress and therefore – our strategy, you know, if our goal is also to keep Iran from getting a nuclear weapon, our strategy is actually better than Israel's strategy. Well, not only do I think that sanctions um, should have been uh, additional sanctions should have been threatened, which is of course the what was proposed by Congress. If you remember back to the Kirk Menendez uh, proposed uh, legislation that extra sanctions would be applied if a deal hadn't been reached by June 30th. Uh, now, I didn't see anything wrong with that. The threat of sanctions should always be, a, uh, of increased sanctions, should always be used. But I would even go further. There should be, when you go into negotiations, there should be a threat of military action. Why not threaten military action? Uh, because, as Teddy Roosevelt said, you, you know, in, in applying statecraft, you need to uh, talk softly but carry a big stick. Avi, hasn't the president, I mean, let's talk, the president has said, and maybe the answer is nobody believes him, but but the president has said, number one, he will not get, let Iran get nuclear weapons and no option is off the table, which is as clear a threat of possible military action as I know. And two, he said that uh, his interim negotiations have actually degraded Iranian progress. As far as sanctions, President Obama says, I'm all for sanctions. I'll be the first to ask for sanctions if these negotiations fail. In other words, come April 1st, uh, April Fool's Day, after March 31st, if there is no agreement, he'll be the first to go to Congress, hold up Congress, wait 30 days, and if we don't get a deal, you'll get your sanctions. You disagree. Well, the president doesn't really have a record of following through on his threats, does he? And what we saw in Syria with his red line speech and uh, his inability and unwillingness to lead on that issue. I mean, it's, it's something... I think the Iranians believe they are dealing with a weak president, with a weak leader in America. Uh, they see, and you have to understand that, you know, the Arab and, um, although the, the uh, Iranians are not Arab, but the, uh, the Middle East mindset is very different than ours. You know, calling for negotiations often can be seen as a, as a form of weakness uh, and uh, perceived as such. And 
uh, although I'm not opposed to negotiations, certainly avoiding a military confrontation should be is in the best interest of uh, of Israel, the United States, and everybody. It, it's clear to me that the the Iranians really don't take uh, the American, this American president and this administration particularly seriously. Ali, uh, give me your and best you prediction. You've really got to back up that seriousness with, with something heavy. And, and that's why I feel that a joint uh, military action uh, threatened, at least threatened, um, should be a part of it so that the Iranians hmm. come to the table really shaking with fear that they are going to be uh, served with a very powerful military punch. I see. If so if, if, if Israel and the United States were to perform a joint military action over international waters, uh, maybe uh, off in the Persian Gulf, that's something that might get Iran to, to give us a better deal, I guess. Let me ask you this. If you have to make a prediction, a month from today, March 31st has passed. It's now April. The deadline has passed. Will the United States and Iran and, and the other five nations make a deal? And if so, what do you think the deal will be? It's a very tough question because uh, things have already dragged on. There's been two extensions already of these negotiations, and it's not clear to me why they hadn't come to a conclusion earlier, much earlier. Um, and they would have if they, if my prescription had been followed, I think. But um, do I believe that there's going to be a, a deal? Yes. I think there will be. I think it'll be a weak deal. I think it'll be something that uh, the Iranians feel that they can fudge on, uh, that they can avoid, that they can buy, that'll buy them time. And when we say, remember, that he, when President Obama says that he's not going to allow uh, Iran to acquire a nuclear weapon, what he's really saying is they're not going to get one on my watch. Uh, I don't think he's that concerned about what happens afterwards. And so that may be something put in the lap of the next president then. Um, Absolutely, yeah. Ivy Davis, thank you for your insight. I want to thank Kevin for his call. It's time to discover the world with your loved one. Turkish Airlines Fly Festival has begun. This Valentine's Day, you can enjoy 10% off in economy class and 15% off in business class for every two tickets you get. Book your flight with Turkish Airlines until the 14th of February and fly with the special fares of Turkish Airlines. For details, visit TurkishAirlines.com. How to show up with Coca-Cola Energy. You're tired and you're thinking of canceling on your friends. Don't do it! Every time you cancel on a friend, a unicorn loses its horn and becomes a regular horse. Do you really want that on your conscience? Instead, grab an ice-cold can of Coca-Cola Energy with delicious Coke taste and reinvigorating energy. Keep the unicorns alive! Show up every day with Coca-Cola Energy. Energy you want, taste you love.